giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Lindsay Christensen, and with me today is Courtney and Ty Caldwell, the founders of Shearshare. Welcome, folks. Hey, guys. How you guys doing? Hello. Thanks for joining us today. I'm excited to dig into what you're working on. I also think you may be our first interview with a married couple. Oh, we love being first. (laughs) (laughs) So this should be a lot of fun. Good. This is not the first one we've done together, so we'll we'll make sure that we do you well. (laughs) (laughs) So so you're used to the the handoffs and finishing each other's sentences? Always. Last 20 plus years. Yeah, definitely. 20 plus. Wow. (laughs) So to start off, I'd love for you to tell our audience about what Shearshare is. Well, Shearshare is the very first app that lets stylists rent professional salon or barbershop space anywhere at almost any price. Um, so think of it as like Airbnb, but for the beauty industry. Some folks like to call us Hairbnb, and I think that's so cute. Uh, <laughs> but in essence, we're, we're helping to keep our brick and mortar businesses open because those salon and barbershop owners who have an empty chair or excess capacity can actually monetize it by the day by listing their empty space on the Shearshare app. And then stylists who are looking for spaces to work, no matter where their clients are, they can get closer to their clients and never, ever have to lose a customer again by being able to rent professional space that they were classically trained in by the day. Interesting. So it is a marketplace like Airbnb Mm -hmm. where you've Mm -hmm. got the supply and the location on one side and then someone with the need on the other end. Absolutely. And where did the idea come from? The idea, we get that question all the time. We never get tired of sharing it. The idea came back, you know, 2012, we expanded and rebranded our own award-winning salon in Mm -hmm. Plano, Texas. And my background is I've been in the industry for a quarter of a century, over 25 years, and I've been a salon and barbershop owner for over two decades. But once we realized that after the expansion, uh, we realized the industry was changing, not just changing in landscape as far as more salons and different types of salons because you have three different types of spaces. You have commission-based salons, full-time, part-time employees. You have independent contractors, which is growing uh, by the numbers. And you also have this new and upcoming, which has been around for the last seven to 10 years, salon suites. So we realized when we expanded that we didn't have people wanting to come in and rent space on a lease basis, on a contractual basis. And so we had some empty spaces that we could rent out. And, you know, being an award-winning salon, we used to have people waiting to get into the salon mm-hmm. to work. And so we seen the uh, landscape changing. And and one day a young lady came in and wanted to rent the space by the day. And it was something that we had not even thought about doing. And, and she was like, I've moved to the other side of town. Uh, I have clients that I'm leaving in this particular area, which is Plano, and I don't want to lose them. You know, you can lose your clients if you move five, 10. She was actually moving 45 minutes away from mm-hmm. where she was located previously. And she didn't want to lose those clients. And she's asked me, could she rent the space on a temporary basis by the day, every other week or so for a while? And I was like, okay, let me talk to her, talk over it with my wife and went home and told her about it. And, and she was like, who does that? And we had this conversation back and forth. I said, well, it's collecting dust. I'd rather make something and collect yeah. some dollars and just let it go dormant. And so once we uh, had that experience, it was such an awesome experience. She came back to me a couple of days later and asked me, could I do the same thing for her at three or four different other salons that she had already located that could give her clients that premium feel and also get closer to her clients as well. 
And I was like, why do you choose for me to do it? She said, well, you had such a great experience for me. You can actually kind of liaison me in there and kind of be the middleman. And also, you know, the industry. So you know how to talk to the salon owners and, and the lingo. They kind of go with your experience. And I was like, wow, she had a great idea. And I never would have thought about it like that. But then I, once I gave it some thought, I said, well, let me do it for you. And lo and behold, every salon I called accepted uh, with a yes, and I gave them the whole spiel about what I did. They had questions that they were concerned about and apprehensions, and I made them feel comfortable through my experience, and they gave it a go. So we literally did that uh, manually for three years, and while Courtney's working at Oracle, running digital demand across five continents, I was actually going to school, getting my doctorate, writing a best-selling book, speaking all the time, instructing, and so we realized that it was something that we needed to build ourselves. In the midst of doing that, we wanted to kind of push this onto another platform that we found that didn't exist. And so we asked ourselves, what are we going to do with these people that we're helping? And we looked at each other and decided to uh, build this platform ourselves. <laughs> That's right. Wow. And crazy though, Lindsay, right? Because you know they say that the best solutions are problems that you're trying to solve for yourselves. And in all honesty, ShareShare Share was an accident. It was just something that we knew we were tr- we had a problem with. And come to find out, 40% of salon and barbershop space goes unused every day. So we were not the only salon and barbershop owners who were having this challenge. Yeah, it sounds like you kind of <laughs> fell into this and then immediately we're yeah. getting all of this positive feedback around, you know, oh, we all have this problem and we would love yes. for someone to pick up the torch and start solving it. Mm-hmm. That's right. And what year was that? Was that three years ago from today or... Well, we manually matched for, for three years. So from mm-hmm. 2012 to 2015, we were manually matching. Then we went through this this dormant space where we were trying to decide what we were going to do. And uh, we ended up building out, once we met with the, a young lady that actually runs into and works in this space of startups. Uh, once we talked to her about the idea and she thought it was a billion dollar idea, we wanted to know what could we do to get started. So we went through this phase of you know, getting uh, in contact with her a friend who had a third party engineering firm. And so we use our monies to actually build out the MVP, the the minimum viable product. Mm-hmm. And so we had everything moving, but we didn't really get started until late 2016 when we had, you know, actually built out the first version of it. Mm-hmm. And during that manual period, are we talking like Google Sheets, Excel spreadsheets that you're, <laughs> you're managing that. this with? Yes. yes. And, and I actually them having our personal mobile numbers and would call us at all hours of the night wow. and say, Hey, Courtney and Ty, you know, I heard from Lindsay that, you know, you guys are, would be able to match me. I live 15 minutes away from, you know, my clients. They would really want me to come closer to them because they have soccer practice and they got to get dinner on the table and I don't want to lose them. Can you just find me a space? I need these types of amenities. This is my price point. This is kind of the environment that I'm used to working in and then go. And so, yeah, we, we say that we're pretty quick learners, but I'm telling you, Lindsay, for three years, we were doing this manually before we said, there's got to be an app for this because there seems to be an app for everything else. Let's go find it. But the great thing about that, Lindsay, is that, you know, we collected so much manual data, right. data that mm-hmm. gave us yep. directional right. insight into what we needed to ask the, the host who are the salon owners and barbershop owners and spa owners, but also get directional information and data from the individual professionals as well. And being that I'm in the industry, you know, thoroughly and fully, you know, I know some of the things they're going to ask, but you just never know. You just can't take it upon yourself as an individual to think that you know it all. I know so much about this industry, but each individual now that the industry is so robust and so and so wide at range, you kind of want to get what other people are thinking too. So that gave us not only clear cut directional manual data, it gave us the idea 
that really no one else who's not in this industry can even do. Yeah. Right. I, I value that time, you know, now that we look back and it seemed crazy. I mean, it, it is it was a crazy time, but the typical startup takes, you know, post funding, right, to try to find product market fit mm-hmm. and collect all of that directional data, as Ty said. You know, we were, were very fortunate enough to be doing that in the beginning and didn't even know that we were doing just that. Oh, yeah. I imagine that's now going to be your, your superpower, your secret weapon yeah. that you've got three years of research. Start. And can analyze that. And you you mentioned that at a certain point, you, I guess, had a, a friend or an advisor suggest that this could be a successful startup. Yeah. Was that like something you had ever considered before or were even familiar <laughs> with? Was that a new concept? <laughs> It was completely new concept. So this lady, let me take you back. So when I was working at Oracle, yeah, tell me we would travel. Yeah, we would travel back and forth to Palo Alto to Mountain View. Uh, my team was always remote. I was always managing a contingent workforce. So I had teams in Tokyo, Australia, the U.S., et cetera. Never in Dallas, where I actually sat. Right. And so in these travels, you know, you hook up with people on LinkedIn. And so this time, I said, oh, you know, this would be great. I have a you know an extra couple hours of my schedule. Would love to learn more about this particular individual. She had moved from the east um, out to Silicon Valley. And I was like, I was really impressed by that. Mm. And so she started telling me over breakfast about how she was in the startup industry or startup world. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I'd ever heard that term used before. So I kind of let it fly over my head like, oh, okay, she said the word startup. I don't know what that is. So that's her world. You know, my world is B2B enterprise technology marketing. I'm going to live here. She lives there. And the two will probably never cross paths again. So it wasn't until Ty and I, you know, had started doing this manual matching of sorts where we said, okay, this is kind of starting to sound like that thing they call a startup. Like, who do we know (laughs) who would give us more information about that thing? And so found her phone number, called her up, mind you, learned in in the conversations to come that she is so well respected out in the valley where she can't walk from her car to the grocery store without getting pitched, right? Some new idea. (laughs) And so, yeah, and so it was great that we, you know, happened upon her again and our paths did end up crossing. And that's where she said, oh my gosh, guys, this is is a billion dollar idea. We knew in our hearts that it already was because we already felt the pain point right. and we were seeing how much value just the two of us were bringing to, you know, salon owners, small business owners around the US. And so we knew that and she said, "Okay, well, first things first, you need to get somebody who can code." And we're like, "Well, what's that?" Like someone who can build the app. Like, right. "Oh, okay. So like a, a CTO because neither my husband nor myself are technical co-founders, obviously. He is a subject matter expert." been in beauty and barbering for 26 years. I handled the operations in the B2B tech marketing side of the house. And so we, we looked around, we hunted around for a while. Because I worked at smaller companies before, all the way up to global enterprises, we started to you know dive into our network to see if anyone would be interested in you know, kind of quitting their job, their day job, to mm-hmm. kind of jump into this thing full force with us. We kind of went to a couple of roadblocks. And so we said, well, gosh, you know, if we can't find a CTO, does the idea die? Like, we can't let it die because we still have people calling our personal mobile numbers like every day. Like, what what do you do now? And so we went back to the lady and she said, okay, if that's a problem right now, you know, this may work. And so introduced us to a third party technology company mm-hmm. um, that built out just the MVPs. You know, it's not somebody who's going to be with you long term. We ended up meeting with them loving the uh, culture that they had at their business. They completely understood what we were trying to do. Actually had someone assigned to our team whose family had been in the beauty and barbering industry before. So they valued the small businesses that we were trying to serve, the community that we're serving. 
that was hugely um, beneficial for us. And that's how we got Shearshare off the ground with our own money, you know, taking all of our savings, throwing it at the app, um, ending up taking all of our 401k and our SCPs and throwing that money towards the app to get Shearshare off the ground. That's how much we believed in this from day one. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. actually, ThoughtBot, that's what we do. We're a product design yeah. and development consultancy. See? When um, we're not producing podcasts, uh, that's right, the, day, yeah. the day job. Um, <laughs> but who knew that this world existed? We did not know that. <laughs> right. You know? But, no. you, you know, everything you're mentioning are definitely, you know, exactly what we look for in non-technical founders that we get excited to work with um, yeah. are the ones that have a deep industry expertise, that they've mm-hmm. been doing their market research, that, you know, they validated the idea and now can bring on a technical partner to build that yes. MVP and start scaling the thing. Yeah, you get it and you that get it all the way. That was where we were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm actually pretty unfamiliar with the beauty and barbering market, which might be an interesting sort of point to stop and educate the audience around, like, what is this market look like? What are, do you have some of the, the numbers? Of course, this is something that we breathe every day and have. You know, beauty has fed our family for over a quarter of a century now. So there are over 1.2 million licensed cosmetologists in the U.S. And cosmetology is anything having to do with hair, skin, and nails. So that could be your nail technician, your hairstylist, your makeup artist, your esthetician, massage therapist in many cases. And then there are 400,000 licensed barbers. And so that's just in the U.S. alone, right? And these are small businesses unto themselves. The average stylist works about four days a week. And typically how stylists find professional space to work is that they sign a long-term contract. Well, first you have to find, you know, quote unquote home salon, right? Mm-hmm. And you do that by Google searches or peer recommendations because maybe a stylist graduated from beauty school like a month before you and is working at a rock star a salon or barbershop. Or believe it or not, Lindsay, uh, salon owners like ourselves would actually walk into a beauty school or a barber college and pin our business card up on the still viable job board, like a oh, physical yeah, sure. job board. Yeah. And so... Craigslist and Google were like the cool kids way to find professional space to work. But once you find that space, then you have the challenge of negotiating your long-term contract. So what is your weekly booth rent or your monthly booth rent going to be? How long are you going to be here? Very much like, you know, renting an apartment, right? But so you're now beholden to that chair for, you know, six months, nine months, two years, however, however long, and you have to work out of that chair. Otherwise, you're losing money because you may be paying $250 to rent that chair or that suite for that week. And so if you don't work during the days, you've already had to pay into that. And so that's a cost drain. It's a far-reaching industry. One of the things I will say that the overhead sometimes can kill the the, the newbies that are coming into the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, you pay so much money to go to school to get your, your license to be a cosmetologist or a barber, and it's not an easy go in. You know, most salons, commission-based salons, they either want you to be an apprentice before they put mm-hmm. you on the, on the floor. Yep. And if you are just an independent contractor coming straight out of school, then you go, it's going to take you time to build up that that churn of growth uh, with clientele. So, you know, having the the understanding and uh, the wherewithal to be patient is going to be something that's going to be great. But we know that a lot of schools, colleges, barber colleges and cosmetology schools have a placement rate. And so Shearshare now gives that opportunity for uh, schools to actually place their students in order to continue getting government funding mm-hmm. because you just can't go to school and not utilize that that degree that you're getting because the government wants to know where are these students going, how are they going to be able to pay this loan back. So mm-hmm. Shearshare now has direct data 
that now once those students come out of school, they can go right to work the next day, yeah. uh, whether they have two clients or 20 clients. And mm -hmm. instead of paying that overhead or, or waiting to get on the floor at a commission-based salons, they're ready to go to work the next day with the, with the small clientele they have and still make money and pay just that day rate. And if they're going to work one day a week, two days a week, that gives them still that time to market and not have to worry about the overhead of renting a space or worry about the overhead of actually being in the training grounds of an apprenticeship before they can actually be able to do their, their their regular customers that they earn from school and that they do every day instead of going to someone's home or whatever where they didn't have those accoutrements at these homes and houses uh, or hotel rooms or garages because they now need to work. Sure, sure is, is giving them direct comfort to go into a placement mm -hmm. to work and to make money. Plus there are sanitation regulations, right, with, you know, doing hair, you know, outside of a salon or, or barbershop where, like Ty said, you're classically trained. And so we started to see this shift in the dynamics of how Silas wanted to work probably, what, like 2011, 2012. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, right when we started to manually start matching Silas to empty salon space. Because typically, as Ty kind of mentioned, you find, you know, a home salon or your home barbershop and you work there. You know, you're there for 20 years, you're there for 25 years, and that's where you go. I mean, even if you just want to work there a year and just kind of get your feet wet before you, you know, decide to move on or if you want to work somewhere for five years and then just kind of understand the ins and outs of ownership. If you want to be an owner one day, all these things can be worked in, but it takes time to just actually understand the mentorship and all the uh, ups and downs, the ebbs and flows of running a business. So that's what Shearshare is able to usher them into doing. Yeah. So those stylists were used to be all like full time, right? Full time, part time. And now the shift is 70% of stylists in our licensed stylist professionals in our industry are actually independent contractors. And this is a huge shift that's happened over the last 12 or so-ish years. Mm -hmm. um, and as we sit on the advisory boards of beauty schools and barber colleges, we're speaking, you know, sometimes weekly, monthly to the next generation of stylists and salon owners and barbershop owners. And they're telling us, I don't want the ownership. I just want the access. Give me that and let me build my business on my terms where I don't have to come in and be a shampoo tech for an entire year or work on commission where you're taking, you salon owner are taking 60% and I'm only getting 40%. I want to be able to keep all of my hard earned money. And so this actually sits in between, you know, both the supply and the demand side. And it's a win-win for both because mm -hmm. the salon owner who has the empty chair, whereas before when we, ours were just collecting dust, now get to monetize it. And the stylist who um, is very adamant about having freedom and flexibility to build their success on their own terms gets to do that by finding professional space to work by the day. So now I understand there is this huge barrier to entry mm -hmm. and especially in today's day and age like most areas, folks are saddled with student debt, and this kind mm -hmm. of helps them mm -hmm. accelerate their career uh, right. and start to pay back some of that student debt. Oh, yeah. Do you consider Sheer Share fitting into what folks call the gig economy? It's definitely the gig economy. Yeah. I think that, you know, what people don't understand is that we touch everybody from the homeless right. pauper to all the way to the to the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we know for sure is by 2020, the gig economy service people are going to be taking over just the, the corporate sector. So we already are ahead of the game. Even before yep. we knew the data and the numbers, right. we knew that we was you know, solving a problem a long time ago. And so the data just followed and confirmed what we were doing. Uh, but yes, it's definitely the gig economy. We know that a lot of these individuals, especially independent contractors, they need professional space to work. They know, we know they're going to need 
products like the Square. We know they're going to need liability insurance. We know they're going to need everything just like a regular Uber driver, just like someone who's doing anything from TaskRabbit. We know that they need all these different products in order to upscale and, and be able to itemize the things they're doing to increase their earnings potential and they can show something to the IRS. Yeah, everything that a stylist would need from behind the chair, you know, because we have tripped over ourselves doing this, because we have the blood, sweat, and tears to prove it, we know what those tools are. And so we're trying to erase every hurdle that if if you are serious about this industry and you're passionate about beauty and barbering, we want to make sure that we give you all the B2B tools that you need in order to be successful from day one. Interesting. So it sounds like maybe you're also thinking about, you know, long term, how the app evolves into (laughs) handling payments, maybe an operating Uh system component. Uh Oh, Lindsay, Lindsay, you're you're already there. Reading our mail. Am I hired? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) You're already there, Lindsay. Uh, And it's funny you say that because the way you're thinking just off of us talking for the first time is what people have been asking us over the last six months to a year. So Mm -hmm. we know what we're doing is Mm -hmm. is going to help, but we also are already ahead of the game. And you got to think far ahead. You got to think anywhere from three to five years. So you know where this market is going. So you know where this industry is going. We know how archaic it is. We we know that a lot of these different sectors of of the economy and the jobs have changed. Mm -hmm. We know that the hoteliers have changed. The way people get spaces to to work has changed, whether it be just uh, office space. We know that people are using the driving and receiving uh, uh, drivers the different way other than taxis. So the section of and the sector of beauty industry has hasn't changed in over a century. And so so we know that we're changing um, it. What does the tech landscape look like in the beauty industry? Is there a lot of software for day-to-day operations? Absolutely not. And I can tell you what software is in the beauty industry. You have a lot of booking apps. You have a lot of calendar apps. And you have a lot of people that don't work in the industry as a consumer or someone that's trying to build what we're building. So you may have someone like yourself who would say, you know what? I just have a hard time getting to my stylist. I would love someone to come to me. So we have seen people pop up and build apps to where they want the the stylist to come to someone's home. But we know that that can be a logistical nightmare. We mm-hmm. know that they need insurance. And if something happens with your dog gets bitten or you know whether something goes wrong, that right there can really be really faulty and hurt your company. So you got to be able to give the results and, and do all the work where, like I said before, this licensed profession was classically trained, where the business already has to have liability insurance. When people come in there but have that extra layer of a product of liability insurance, is going to make it so much easier and so much more attractive than people just getting up and going all over the city to a client mm-hmm. that doesn't have the accoutrements for them to work and get the results that they need. Yeah, people ask us, like even our investors today will say, hey, are you guys thinking about ever kind of foraying into the B2C space, you know, like the appointment booking apps? And the entire time people ask us that question is, hey, this nut that we're trying to crack is big enough itself. Um, we're starting with space <laughs> That's good. to work. You're focused. Yeah. It's oh, definitely you have to be this space to work challenge. It just makes sense for us because space to work sits at the very beginning of the hairstylist or the barber's life cycle. Right. So like no matter what pen and paper or appointment setting tool they use or what products they use even, whether it be a pair of clippers or a shampoo, they have to have space to work. And so we fix that problem and we get them over the hurdle to the next subset. So the ecosystem that we're building is not just space to work. Um, so you hit the nail right on the head. Actually, by the end of this month, 
Whew, fingers crossed, we have um, a new product launching where now independent stylists will have access to weekly pay stubs, which an independent barber or hairstylist has never had access to that before. And we know walking into a bank trying to refi a house or get a loan or just whatever, the bank requires so much more paperwork because you're a solopreneur, right? And so if you have that validation of independent contractor status, it makes things go a little bit easier. So Again, another industry first, uh, weekly pay stubs. We're also helping them set up their tax savings account. This new tool will also estimate what tax withholdings they need to put back in order to pay Uncle Sam. Mm-hmm. Then we'll file their quarterly taxes for them, all from their mobile device. Oh, get out. Yes. Add to that the fact that we're doing mobile payment solutions now and insurance on demand. And so, you know, again, all the hurdles that we have gone over that have almost stopped us in our tracks, we said, no more. This shouldn't be this difficult. And by golly, we're going to be the ones to solve it. And a small add to that is that we're serving the same community of people. So mm-hmm. it's not like we're trying to go out and find new customers. We're serving the base right. customers that we already have, yep. which makes it so dynamic and more interesting and much more of a sticky play. And even I just think about like the B2C play too. Like, you know, everybody was gung-ho into appointment setting apps, right? There's a place for everything, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Many of our people still use good old-fashioned pen and paper for a variety of reasons. But when I think about what Instagram has done, like now Instagram has said, whoa, the beauty and barbering industry is pretty rock solid. You know, we call it an evergreen industry. And now Instagram has added a book button on their channel. So now a stylist who just comes out of school, newly licensed, can find space to work on Shearshare, bypass all Mm. of the appointment setting apps and just use their Instagram profile Mm. to generate clientele. And so just think about if we had gone in that direction, like we'd be out of business. Absolutely. Yeah, it'd be tough to compete with Instagram. Mm -hmm. Yes, just a little bit. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about your numbers as far as growth? You know, users, how often are they using? uh, What Mm -hmm. does the client base look like? Yeah, so so right now we have share share listings across 478 cities, believe it or not, and wow. nothing that we tried to do ourselves, which is crazy. We actually thought that we were going to launch share share in three cities, and we were going to be good with that. That was enough work on it by itself, right? We thought let's focus on LA, New York, and Dallas. Of course, Dallas being home base, New York being a huge market for transient stylists, and a lot of beauty flows through there. Of course, you got New York Fashion Week and movies and whatnot, and then you have LA, same thing. Plus, in the state of Texas, um, there are many more licensed professionals than anywhere else in the U.S., and so it just made sense. However, what happened, Lindsay, is that Silas found out about us, and again, we're calling our personal mobile number saying, hey, you know, I live in you know, Pembroke Pines, Florida, and I need to go to Miami. You know, what, how can you help me? Mm-hmm. And so it just, the, the market dictated where we needed to be. So we say the 400 number, but but it's not by our own choosing. Yeah, so now we're in um, almost 500 cities across the U.S. And our growth, we like to hinge on the number of bookings. Um, a lot of startups will look at just revenue. However, when we look at the number of bookings, we know that we are serving both sides of the marketplace. If we get one booking, that means that both the brick and mortar helps to stay open and the stylist who's passionate about the industry actually finds space to work. And so that number has grown 159% year over year. We're very proud of that. Excellent. What is the pricing model? Or maybe Mm -hmm. you've tried a few at this point, (laughs) but interested how you're approaching that. Sure. Uh, Very much like an Airbnb, right? Mm -hmm. So we take a commission on every share share booking 
um, we help the salon and barbershop owner who lists with us for the first time to determine a really solid range or an attractive price for their their space. They've never before had to think about what should I price my space for the day for a 24-hour period. This is the first for them. And so now that we have data across umpteen hundreds of cities, we're able to help them uh, come up with a really solid range. And so we do charge a commission on each share share booking. And so far, so good. That's been the way that the market has said they, they want us to continue. And from a go-to-market perspective, what have been some tactics that you've tried? It sounds like you also have a fair amount of word of mouth and maybe some organic viral growth. Uh, But are there other things you're sort of more thoughtfully trying to do as far as getting the word out and getting more users? Sure. We thought Facebook was going to be the holy grail. It was not for us. It was an epic fail. So I'll I'll start with the the not so good tactics that we tried and feel that terribly. Our folks speak to each other by word of mouth, right? They're they're texting each other and saying, hey, I found this great new product or this great new hair color or this great new uh, pair of clippers. So 40% plus of our users come to us by word of mouth. um, And then our folks live online on Google and Instagram. Events have been really solid for us, too. That will always be a mainstay of the ShareShare brand, having those very thoughtful events that we host uh, with our authorized ShareShare hosts in various cities where people are invited in to come and listen to um, not just a a soft sell about ShareShare, right? But it's more of a networking event where we help them understand where the industry is going what the stylist of today looks like, providing additional tools that we know that they're going to need at various journeys in their career, whether they've been in the industry for two months or 22 years. Um, And then we tell them about ShearShare. And so that's really, really helped. You definitely want to know what their pain points are. Mm -hmm. I pretty much know from the beginning what their pain points are. I don't think that social media will ever take that away. I think that it's just an additive for individualism Mm -hmm. and to help them be a marketplace for them as well to market their business or to market whatever they're trying to sell. But from start to finish, I pretty much know the pain points, but it's always good to actually know exactly what these different individuals' pain points are and just kind of put them in a gumbo pot and say, hey, you know what, this is how we're going to disperse it and this is how we're going to build for them. It's obvious Ty's background is, you know, very relevant to the business. <laughs> but I think yeah. also, Courtney, I imagine yours, you mentioned you were working at Oracle doing, mm-hmm. I think, demand generation. Is that right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. She's a rock star. I want you to know that, Lindsay. She's a rock star. <laughs> I mean, I know we're dealing with a beauty app and I know that there's a lot of expertise that comes from me. But just like anything else, it has to be ran in different different sectors of the business. And you have to make sure that not only is it relevant from the external part of it, but from the internal as well. And this is why I love this man. <laughs> I, now I see how, how you all make it work. That's um, right. But yeah, no, that seems like very complementary strengths to bring to the business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and we, we chuckle at it, right? Because it literally is the perfect marriage, you know, when, <laughs> when you think about marriage and business. And, you know, thinking about startup founders and how VCs, you know, want to, you know, help maybe like a solo founder find that perfect match to say, you know, starting a company is kind of like getting married. And we're like, check the box there. We're, we're pretty <laughs> good to go. <laughs> um, I think, too, that's that's something that's been very successful um, along our path has been that we both run in our own lanes, right? So you mentioned before, you know, Ty definitely has the subject matter expertise when it comes to beauty and barbering down pat. And then on my side of the house, he very rarely comes over and says, oh, you know, maybe we should be running the campaign this way, or maybe we should be thinking about operations in this kind of light. Mm-hmm. And so that has really 
freed both of us up to just focus straight ahead. And so we're both headed in the right direction, in the same direction at all times in perfect alignment. We're just tackling two different beats. And we're in Texas, you know. We know that, and, and I'm sure other people know, but I'm going to just use this metaphorically. You know a cow is a cow. You know a horse is a horse. And so you can't, and, and, and so I even though they all, and, and they're big animals and they're farm animals, you got to know the approach has to be different and what they're used for. You can't just go hop on a cow and think you're going to run on it like a horse. So you have to know exactly what you're doing. So in order to run different sectors of this business, you have to know which is a horse or a cow. So you got to do it like that. Well, which one am I? Am uh, I, am you're, I you're, you're, oh, you're, don't you're the horse. You're, you're the horse. She's the horse. She's the horse. She's, you know, the, the cow's going to graze all day and it's going to make sure it gets fat for you. But the horse is going to do some work for you. Again, Lindsay, why I married this man. Excellent. Yeah, he's got all the answers. All the right answers. I had to ask, like, do you have any like rules of engagement for this to work? Like, you know, we're going on vacation. We can't talk about work or like not at the dinner table. You know, you seem to be making it work. Do you have any tips for other folks? I do have tips and, you know, I, I will be the best person to answer this question because we're dealing with a robot in Courtney. She's a human robot, so she can actually go to sleep at six o'clock, wake up at 10 and work from 1030 yep. to four o'clock in the morning. But, you know, you have to be able to balance. It's, there, people say yeah. work-life balance. I don't totally care about the, the word work-life balance because I feel like, you know, if you can get work done, get it done. Because when you're an entrepreneur, there's no entrepreneur that's a real entrepreneur that doesn't think business all the time. Mm -hmm. So just to try to take breaks. Work when you need to work. Don't try to do it all. Make sure you have you, you hire people that, that are good at what they're doing. You hire them to tell you what to do and not to tell them what to do because in order to have a really great business, you have to have great talent around you. And one of the things that I tell Courtney, we have a little dog and she's sitting here by us right now and we want to always take her out for walks. So there's sometimes two or three a day, whether it be 10, 15 minute walk and sometimes just getting up and just debriefing, whether it be meditating in the morning time, whether yes. it be catching us yes. a nice little workout, you know, after we get our morning started and get everything situated, go through our daily standups with the employees and all, you got to be able to section those out and, and just having family time. We have a, a 18 year old son who we're getting ready to take off to the air force this Wednesday. He's going to air force Academy to play football. So just having family time oh, congrats. And, and also we're, we're, we're vegetarians and vegans. So mm -hmm. we want to make sure that we're eating right and treating our body right. So yeah. mentally, spiritually, we're always trying to be engaged, but just to kind of incorporate that into having family time. Courtney and I want to have date time and mm -hmm. go to a movie or go out to dinner, just simple things like that. So that you don't always have to feel like you're just running because let it be known, Silicon Valley will make you think, oh, you know, they're just have their heads in the MacBook all the time. It's not really like that. They know how to, to make it work. And, you know, sometimes the operating team could be working at one hour and the engineering team could be working another. And it seems like the company's working 24 hours and it may be, but they're working in different sections. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's good, babe. I, I would have to add too that, you know, one of our coaches mentioned to us a long time ago, and we, we kind of knew this, but she just kind of underscored it, is that the health of your business is a direct reflection of you either you as a solo founder or you and your co-founding relationship, right? And so it would be very obvious to tell how the co-founders are interacting with each other and how the business is, is building uh, behind the scenes because she's got to look at you know, how the co-founders are. 
if they look tired and distressed and they're snappy and they're short with people, especially team members, and don't have the heart to, you know, provide kid glove service to, you know, the community that you serve. I mean, you can tell all of that just by looking at the way a business is run. And so we take that very much to heart. Um, our relationship, our marriage is first. That's always priority. And then everything else, you know, extends from there. So if you always lead with the, the mentality of money, somewhere in there, you're going to leave out the health. Mm-hmm. of not just you but your company so mm-hmm. always make sure with, as you're growing make sure that the first and foremost part of that is yourself because a company can't hinge and be successful without you and I think that most people if they're listening to what we're talking about think about yourself first then the company and, and make sure that not only you're happy first but then you want to make sure your employees are happy mm-hmm. and they're giving them what they want if they need some time off don't be like, okay, well, I need you to do this. Give them the time off and, and make sure you can cover them or have people to cover them so that they can get that little time they need with their kids and with their family so that the company continues to scale and grow and everybody's happy. That's what a great company and that's what great founders and great leaders do. They make sure the company is healthy. And so that goes in full circle. Yeah, That's, that's great advice. So you mentioned coaches. Previously, you mentioned like an early mentor. And I'm I'm always really interested to hear the programs people go through or like what some of the ecosystem and, you know, helpers really along the way that get you to become a successful company. So maybe even going back to when you were building the app, you know, did you go through things like accelerators? Did you end up taking on third party funding? Like who are some of the other players in in your world? Uh, when we first started, we we definitely uh, utilized our own monies. But when we realized after we met with the young lady that Courtney and I, you know, met doing her back and forth working at Oracle, after going to her and and she hooked us up with the third party engineers, we were entered into a contest, Tech Co Startups, and we ended up, you know, being one of of twelve hundred companies and ended up getting into the semifinal round of five hundred companies and then ended up getting into the top four and winning that to become Tech Co Startup of the Year. Now, previously before that, uh, we had went through YC Fellowship, which is an online course, an eight-week online course virtually. And so we were kind of waiting to see if we were going to go ahead and go into core. But when we won Tech Co Startup of the Year 2016, what happened was that gave us a choice between four incubator accelerators to choose from. So we gave a call over to YC and told them, what we had just accomplished and what we were given as a prize and were they still interested during this time? Well, that time hasn't come yet for application processes. And we was like, well, these are the choices that we have. And so, you know, would you guys want to take us? No, we just want to just go ahead and go through one of the courses. And who would you recommend? So they recommended that we go through 500 startups for the growth section of it. And Mm -hmm. absolutely, that's what it was. It was thoroughly, fully on growth, how to get your company scaled, Mm -hmm. uh, talking about numbers. They had so many mentors that we were able to reach out to, so many people that was able to help us. And and we were a founder's bet, you know, accelerator founder's bet. And so they were just excited that we knew what we were doing. But not only that, we built, we got so many relationships out of it. We know that people think that Silicon Valley is just this 
aha world, this, oh my God, dreamy world. It, it really is a serendipitous atmosphere <laughs> to have different relationships and people are willing to help you. Yeah. So that's one of the things that we liked about Silicon Valley because we just cold emailed Joe Gebbia for Airbnb and he hit us back and he, we were able to go meet with him for 45 minutes. And, and how, who does that? Right. It's hard to really, <laughs> who does that when you got a multi-billionaire Who's yeah. uh, over the, over this great company that's able to give you that kind of time? Mm-hmm. And, and you so, were actually in Silicon Valley for the program. Mm-hmm. Yes, we were. Well, we yes. would fly back and forth. So every Sunday through Thursday, we'd be out there, and then on wow. weekends, we'd be here at family. Yeah, it was crazy for a while, but it was so worth it. We we had to weigh the cost of you know, does it make sense for us to do that at this point in our time? You know, where the season and life that we're in, and where the company's in, and all roads pointed to yes. So Tanya Soman over at 500 Startups, she's been a phenomenal resource for us. She actually leads the beauty and fashion industry um, for 500 Startups, and she's been a wealth of knowledge. And then uh, going through additional pitch competitions, we went through and won L'Oreal's Women in Digital. What came with that was complimentary coaching from Founder Forward. Um, Her name is Robin Ward, and she is unbelievable. To this day, I still look back at all my notes and I am able to to pull something out every day that I need to be doing again that Robin's taught me. Highly recommend her. Um, One of those things is that she gave us five things to do every single day, no matter what. And it didn't have to do with business, which which will probably surprise a lot of people. But she said, you have to make sure that you are eating well, You have to make sure that you're hydrating well, and no, wine does not count. Um, You have to make sure you're sleeping well. Um, So what does that mean for you? Some people can get by with seven and a half hours of sleep. Some people need 10. Um, Make sure that you're moving well and make sure that you're socializing well. You do have to get some social time in there, even if you are an introvert like myself. And so just little nuggets like that, like she would throw out. I'm like, oh my gosh, these are gems. And like I said, I still go back to my notes on a daily basis and can pull something out from what Robin was able to share. So we, we really we really appreciate the mentorship. It helps us because we realize that a lot of things that we're going through, they've gone through, and they're able to help us see the trees from the forest. And that way we can kind of understand the direction that we need to make in this next move. And I wrote a book called Mentor by Failure for uh, the beauty industry. So, I mean, being a direct mentor myself, I love to, I'm a teachable person. I love to be coached and I love to be mentored as well. So it gives us an understanding of what we're doing. We both aren't tech people. So to be in this space, you definitely want to get the learnings. Yeah. And going back way back when, right, when that uh, young lady mentioned the word startup, she's now actually uh, on our advisory board. So TD Lowe um, out of Fortify Ventures. And that's been super important to us because she's been there from the very beginning. And, you know, since Ty and I are a little bit longer in the tooth, right, we're not, you know, two college grads sleeping on a friend's sofa trying to get their startup off the ground. We have real adulting <laughs> challenges. Um, Hashtag adulting. That, yeah, seriously. Having that relationship and relationships to us matter so much because we've built companies independent of each other before. I call my husband the most unemployable person that I know on yep. the face of the earth. Yep. <laughs> He's just a leader's leader. And so he's built teams, you know, consistently year after year after year and been um, a business owner since the age of 19. You know, and I've been tasked in my time at Corporate America, 20 plus years now, building teams from the ground up to make sure that, you know, we're running demand gen appropriately and the sales has the appropriate people to call and whatnot. And so coming together and bringing all of that um, relationship focus together, not just his and my relationship as, as married co-founders, but reaching back out to the people who we know helped us in the very beginning, that's so important to us. So relationships mean a lot. 
And how have you approached building an advisory board? Are you trying to get folks with different strengths, different connections? How do you think about that? Yeah. So another person we have on our advisory board, we can speak about this publicly, is uh, Beyonce's personal hairstylist. Um, okay. And, and Oprah's personal hairstylist, right. So Kim Kimball is an industry like guru. She's highly lauded for a lot of different things. But yeah, she does Beyonce's hair, Oprah's hair, Nicki Minaj, Tyra Banks. I mean, you name it. She, she Her magic hands have touched someone. Holy and smokes. so, yeah, interesting note there, how we were first introduced to Kim Kimball was that one of our investors, Arlen Hamilton of Backstage Capital, um, made the introduction and said, hey, Kim said she has like an hour on this day. Can you make it? And we're like, why would we not fly from Texas to California <laughs> <laughs> to, to talk with Kim Kimball for an hour? That's like golden yeah. to us. Did that. She loved what we were doing, totally understands where the industry is headed. She's a salon owner herself. Right. And and so she sees the problems that the independents have. She sees the problems that our brick and mortars have. And so she loved the concept behind Sheer Share. First started out as a host, as an authorized Sheer Share host and was getting booked, as you can well imagine. I mean, who wouldn't want to be like breathing the same air as Kim Kimball um, if you're in the beauty industry? And then said, Okay, I really understand what you guys are doing. You know, I want to help build this thing out. And so now she sits on our advisory board. So, so yeah, we have tech and startup world and we have, you know, beauty and barbering and that those types of relationships are exactly what we need because their network goes deep and wide. And you mentioned Backstage being an investor. Where are you in your sort of investment life cycle? Yeah. So we finished our pre-seed round. So, you know, first bootstrapping came for a couple of years. Then we went through the accelerator and then we started raising our pre-seed round after we graduated out of 500 startups, completed that. And that put us on what I call is like the saddest and like the best list to be on. But because we raised 1.1 million, that made us the 33rd African-American female-led tech company to raise over a million dollars. And so after that, uh, we started building out the team, started to operationalize a lot of the, the manual processes, and now we're in the middle of our seed round and almost finished. We're raising uh, $2 million there. Exciting. Can people still get in on that seed round? Where Can they find people out about it? People can still get in. Ty is the uh, the gatekeeper. He uh, is very particular <laughs> about <laughs> about who he uh, opens the opportunity to. And, and as you should he be. Is. As you should as be. As you should yeah, be. You know. That's right. I mean, my husband has the gift of discernment. And so sometimes <laughs> he'll look at a person. And I literally, Lindsay, we've sat in meetings. And it sounds so good. The investor looks great on paper. We're like, yeah, we, we wouldn't mind making this person rich. And then we leave. <laughs> and, Ty, <laughs> and Ty says, nope, not the one. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, nope, not the one. Well, you know, let me say it like this. In order to really get great investors and great relationships and great and good funding and finish the funding out, you know, you're going to have to kiss a lot of frogs. You're going to get a lot of no's, <laughs> but you're going to have people that also are going to challenge you to do things that ethically you're not going to be able to do mm-hmm. for your company. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they may want you to do something over here. They may want to bring your valuation down and give you this amount of money, which was not going to be good for us, but they may not have relationships either. Some people just like something because it's different and it's good. So it's all about who you want to be your friend, who's going to ride this wave with you, and who wants to really see you grow. So the relationships truly matter, especially as you continue to excel and grow and find different people's in next round. So you want to make sure the investors, because the investor world is very close and it's very close-knitted. So you want to make sure that everybody's on the same page. They're going to fund you the money, but they're also going to have relationships within their network to be able to help you in your next round and also have 
abilities to help you grow your company if you need different products, if you need different relationships with, with other product companies. So, you know, you want to be particular. I need to be a gatekeeper because just anybody doesn't doesn't make it work. You know what I'm saying? We've turned down money. Even when you're looking, when you're wanting funding and you turn down money, people think you're crazy. But all money is not good money. So you want to make sure that for any founder that's listening or potential founder or potential entrepreneur, you got to make sure that it works for you. If you take some money, you got to realize if you're doing evaluation, is that valuation fair? And you want to also make sure if you're investing on a certain uh, note, you want to make sure that's going to be good for your company's growth. And if you're going to scale enough to pay that money back on time. So depending on what you need, needs to be based on the relationships that you want and the relationships that you have to have going forward. And you got to think about this, not just two years down the line, but 10 years down the line. Mm, right. So what else is on the horizon for Shearshare? What can we look forward to? Any any sneak peeks in the coming year? <laughs> yeah, we, we shared the one of the big ones earlier, which is um, New product the, the taxes. Launch. Oh my gosh. Yeah, this is like Shearshare 2.0. And also, you know, we're we're looking at the, the questions that come in, right? So one of the beautiful things about the beauty industry, no pun intended, is that um, <laughs> we never have to like pull information or feedback from the community <laughs> that we serve. Like stylists and salon owners have no problem telling us what they want to see on the app, what's giving them a headache in the middle of the night. And we love that. We love that because it makes our job so much easier. And so one of those things is that you know, we started seeing that people were booking like entire salons on our platform. We're like, wait, why are they doing that? And they're doing it because they're, they're teaching classes. They're doing it because uh -huh. they're filming um, YouTube videos and they wanted a really nice salon space with like the beach in the background. Or they're doing it because they're doing a hair tour. We're like, oh my gosh, you know, so people are using the Share Share platform for other ways than we had originally intended. Mm -hmm. And so in the very near future, you won't just come to the Share Share app and be asked the question, where do you want to work? You will be also be asked the question, how do you want to work? Do you want to book space by the day, by the week, or by the class? And so, again, we're, we're taking all the headache and heartache that we've experienced in the industry, and that's just continuing to be validated day by day by day from talking to our users, which really is the best industry in the world, to be honest with you. And we're taking that all that knowledge and that feedback, and we're putting it into the app. And so we're so very grateful for the people that we serve because they really are helping us build Shearshare Share one day at a time. Amazing. And if folks want to follow along with Shearshare or either of you, what are some ways that they could do that? Where, where can we find you? Yes. Well, we are Shearshare everywhere. Shearshare on Instagram, Shearshare on Twitter, with Shearshare app on Facebook. And then you can stalk Ty over at uh, Dr. <laughs> Ty Caldwell. It's D-R-T-Y-E Caldwell. Um, he's that both on Instagram and Twitter. All right. Well, you heard it here, the power couple. Now you know all about Shearshare. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanksley, thank you so very much. We, we had a blast. Appreciate it. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at Lindsay3D. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.